This anointed teaching by Dr. Beverly Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. The title of my message is Focus on Jesus and Not the Storm. If I said to you, how many of you know Michael Phelps or you've heard his name, I guess we'd all put up our hands, right? Because he holds a record for winning the most Olympic events in history by far. He has 28 medals to his name, including 23 gold medals. That's phenomenal. He wrote a book, No Limits and the Will to Succeed. And in there, he doesn't paint a very flattering picture about himself at all. In fact, as early as kindergarten, Phelps had a trouble with paying attention in class. Now, how many of us can say we also have had trouble in paying attention when we were young in class? I'm sure all of us, right? And a teacher told his mother, your son will never be able to focus on anything. Basically, she was saying, he's going to be a loser all his life. He's not going to amount to much. He won't achieve anything because he can't focus his attention on his schoolwork. So she painted a very bleak future for Michael Phelps. However, when his mother took his sisters for swimming lessons, he decided that he would try out as well. And you know what, family? He discovered his love for swimming. He started focusing on his God-given ability and talents, and he did not focus on what he didn't have, but he started focusing on what he did have. And by the age of 10, Phelps was a nationally ranked swimmer. And when he was 11, he met his famous coach, Bob Bowman. Yes, he was an intimidating authority figure in his life, and he was not afraid to make Phelps practice grueling drills. But Bob was going to make Phelps a champion. He was going to lead him and guide him to victory. If only Phelps would listen to his guidance and obey his words. And you know what? Phelps did listen and obey his coach. It wasn't easy, but in 2000, at the age of 15, he swam his first Olympics. And you know, the rest is history. But Phelps had a choice, family. He could believe the bad report from his teacher, or he could listen to his coach and focus on his future of becoming a champion and experiencing multiple victories. Well, we know he did the latter. And he listened to his coach, and he had multiple victories in his life. And we have a choice today. Either we're going to focus and listen to what the devil says about us, or our naysayers about us, and they talk about our failures and our shortcomings and our mistakes, and the devil tells us why we are not going to amount to anything and why we won't cope in life and how we can't overcome the difficulties we're facing or how we'll never get ahead, we'll never pay our bills. Our enemy will tell us that we'll never live in good health how we will never get over the broken heart, or our family will never serve Christ, and so on. Well, if we focus on those lies, we will never get ahead in life. 
We will never amount to much. We will never enjoy the multiple victories that Christ has for us. If we listen to our coach, who is God, and we focus on what he says about us in his word, we will overcome every hardship we face. Family, there is never going to be a situation in life that God can't fix for us. Didn't Jesus say in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep? Aren't we his sheep, right? Didn't Jesus say that he's going to lead us and guide us besides green pastures? He also said that he's going to renew our strength when we feel weak or weary. Even though we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to be afraid because Jesus will always be with us. He's guiding us. He's leading us. Psalm 147 says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to bind up your wounds. Didn't he say that his rod and his staff will always protect us in Psalm 23? Didn't he say he was going to anoint our head with oil and our cup is going to overflow with blessings in Psalm 23, 25, 23, 5? Didn't he say that his goodness and his mercy and his unfailing kindness will be with us and follow us all the days of our lives? And then at the end of it all, at the end of our lives, didn't Jesus say that he's prepared a place for us in heaven? And family, if you haven't heard Apostle Theo's message on heaven, get it. It'll encourage you so very much. A phenomenal series on heaven. But Jesus is our coach. He's a good coach. And he only wants the best for our lives. And he wants to lead us to many, many victories. So what is our job? Our job, family, is to listen and obey our good shepherd. To focus on what he says to us and about us, and not less listen to the devil and what he says about us regarding the problems we might face. The truth is, when we focus on the negatives, it's really difficult for us to see the positives. For example, the children of Israel, they were living under very difficult circumstances in Egypt. We know about this. Their ruler, Pharaoh, he made them work very long hours. He was a hard taskmaster, and they were his slaves. But the Israelites, they cried to God for help. They said, God, help us. And God heard them. Why? Because he's a good and he's a loving father. And God revealed his incredible plan to Moses. In Exodus 3, 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Did you hear that, family? When they cried out to God, God not only heard them, but now he's going to answer them. And he said to Moses, I've heard them crying out to me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, and so therefore I'm going to rescue them. 
And he said, Moses, I'm going to give them a land. It's going to be a phenomenal land. It's going to be a spacious land, a land for all of them to live in comfortably. They can bring up their children in that land. They're going to enjoy the fruit of the ground. There's a land, Moses, flowing with milk and honey. In fact, if we read in Deuteronomy 8 verse 7, it says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs and gushing out into the fields and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and figs and pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Did you hear that, family? God says you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. So there we have it. That was a provision that God had in his heart planned for them for their future. He wanted to give them total provision. And God's plan for us today is to give us total provision as well. And now we know that by a series of supernatural events, that the Israelites witnessed with their own eyes. Now listen, family. It's not like, it's like us. We heard about God delivering them, right? We heard about God taking them through the Red Sea. We heard about the walls of water that were on either side, while the three million, we heard about that. And I say it's like um, a walled aquarium. I wonder what the fish must have thought when they saw all these people. Uh, going and taking, like Apostle Theo said, Apostle Theo said, at least two hours to walk through the Red Sea, but they did it, and the fish were just looking at them, but they did it. They had supernatural events happening, and they were there when it happened, and God was delivering them from their oppression, from their, their suffering, from their misery, and their journey began. The Bible even tells us that they went out with singing. They were so bold. Miriam had her tambourine. The ladies were dancing. They went out with singing, and they were so full of joy. But the journey had hardly begun when the people started whining and complaining. And they said, oh, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. We got free fish. We remember the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and the onions and the garlic, and oh, we have now lost our appetite. We only have manna to eat. Can you imagine? They said, we only have manna to eat. The manna was supernatural uh, seed that God gave them, and he gave it to them supernaturally. They could just take it and bake it and make loaves of bread out of it. But here we have God's children. They're focusing their attention on what they didn't have. Instead of focusing their attention what they did have or focusing their attention on their future, what God had promised them, their memories must have been very short to forget what God had done for them and they became ungrateful. But isn't that true in our lives, family? When we focus on what we don't have instead of uh, being grateful for what we do have, what happens to us? We become dissatisfied. Could this be a root cause to so many divorces around the world today? Could this be why 
friendships are dissolving or one person in the friendship or the marriage starts looking at the other person's faults and the negative things about that person and they think, you know what, I'm going to look somewhere else, I'm going to get a new partner, I'm going to get a new friend or I'm going to get a new marriage partner. But the truth of the matter, and this is my opinion, the longer I live, I've, I realize that we're all strange. We're all a little different. We all have unusual habits. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen generation. We are royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. But the Bible says we are a peculiar people. And the truth is some of us are more peculiar than others. Right, family? So what should we do? We should focus on the positives of our spouse, our friends. Focus on the, their strengths and not their weaknesses. And when we do that, we'll never become dissatisfied. I read, a friend is someone who overlooks your broken fence and admires the flowers in your garden. In other words, none of us are perfect. We've got issues. Every one of us is dealing with something. But we look at the good in people's lives. Eleanor Roosevelt says, many people will walk in and out of your life, but only true friends will leave footprints in your heart. But this even works in our church, right, family? When we focus on the good things and the positive things about CFC, we realize what a phenomenal church family that we belong to. It's a place where we get to know God, we find freedom, we discover our purpose, and ultimately, we can make a difference. We've got the opportunity to go to growth track. We've got the opportunity to be part of the dream team. We can join a group. We can grow spiritually. I love our church. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, and now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say one more thing. Fix your thoughts, or I would like to say focus your thoughts. Think about what is good and what is true and what is right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. And think about all you can praise God for and be glad about and that's not exactly what the children of Israel did, right? Because they weren't thanking the Lord for their manna. They were complaining and thinking what they didn't have. So let's go back to Moses and the children of Israel who were complaining instead of focusing on the good things that God had already done for them. So Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, all these people, they want to eat meat. And they're complaining and complaining and complaining about it. And you know what the Lord said? He said, Moses, I've heard the people complaining. I've heard the people wailing. Now you tell them they're going to eat so much meat, they're going to get tired of it, it's going to come out of their nostrils. Moses answered and said, you know what, Lord? I'm among 600,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. And you say that you're going to give them meat to eat for a whole month. 
Moses continued, said, Lord, even if we slaughter all the cattle of the fields and the sheep, and I don't know if they had, had camels or bulls or whatever they had with them, even chickens. He said, even if we slaughter all the, the livestock, and even if we went to the sea and we fished out all the fish, it wouldn't be enough to feed everyone. But listen to God. Even though they complained and they whined, God's answer to this impossible situation is found in Numbers 11.23. And the Lord answered, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Again, we're going to witness the supernatural provision of the Lord for the Israelites. We've got to understand, family, that let us never forget. There is nothing we face in life that is too hard for God to solve. There's no situation that God can't handle or fix for us. We must never think that the circumstance we find ourselves in today is impossible for, for God to fix because God can deliver us out of overwhelming circumstances. Didn't Jeremiah 32, 27 say, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Genesis 18, 14 says, Is anything too hard? For the Lord. Luke 18 24 says, What is impossible for people is possible with God. And so, what did God do? God sent a wind and blew quail in from the sea, and there was more than enough for everyone to eat. So, God was not happy, family, with their bad attitude. Instead of talking about the good things that God had done for them, they complained. Instead of thinking about the future that God had promised them, He promised them a future, but they still complained. And the truth of the matter is, their complaining and their whining kept them out of entering their promised land, kept them out of their destiny, kept them out of, of what God had for them. The Israelites focused on the problem and not the promises of God. And when we only focus on the problem and not the promises of God, that too will keep us from entering our destiny. Now let's look at, in the New Testament, we're going to switch gears a bit now and we're going to go to Matthew 8, 18. And I want to set the, the uh, picture for you. Mos uh, not Moses, sorry, Jesus, he had just come down from the mountain. Large crowds were, were gathering around him. He was about his father's business. He was healing the sick. We read that Peter's mother-in-law, if you read there, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus healed her. The centurion came to him and said, Jesus, heal my servant. So many came to Jesus who was sick. A leper came to him and said, Jesus, are you willing to make me clean? And Jesus said, yes, I'm willing. And he healed him. Jesus healed all that came to him. In the evening, the Bible tells us that there were many demon-possessed people. 
and Jesus cast the devil out of all the demon-possessed people, and they were free. So people were gathering around, and there was a large crowd coming, and Jesus noticed it. And we see in Matthew 8, 18, when Jesus noticed how large the crowd was growing, he instructed his disciples to cross over to the other side of the lake. Well, I looked up that word, instruct, and similar words to instruct. And they are to order, to command, to mandate. In fact, the new King James uh, says this. says, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Think about that. Jesus is not saying, uh, disciples, let's get in the boat and let's, uh, let, hopefully we'll make it to the other side. Jesus didn't say, uh, disciples, get a boat and let's see if we can give it a go and get to the other side. Jesus didn't say, well, let's do our best. Hopefully, we'll get to the other side because Jesus knew that the storms arose on Galilee. No, Jesus gave a command, we're going to the other side. In my understanding, and this is from my Bev's version, I think Jesus was exhausted from praying for the sick all day and casting out devils. And so he mandated for the disciples to go to the other side. And we see in Matthew 8, 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Let's notice this. Jesus was with the disciples when the storm came up. Let that sink in. Jesus was with the disciples when the storms came up. Family, Jesus is with us when we go through the storms of life. Many people ask a very valid question when they go through a storm. Where is God? Where is God in all of this? And the truth of the matter is Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us always. And sometimes we cause our own storms, don't we? We make foolish decisions, wrong decisions, and then I would like to say most of our storms are caused by our enemy. Why? Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. He wants to distract us from knowing the word and applying the word in our lives, and that's exactly what he did to the Israelites. He got them distracted. They were looking at the problem instead of the promises of God, and they never got the destiny that God had planned for their lives. But one thing I do know, that storms, there are some storms that are not avoidable. And all of us have gone through storms. We've all gone through difficulties, trials, troubles. Many of us experience loss. And many of us have found ourselves in circumstances that we never anticipated we would find ourselves in. But the disciples were in the will of God when the storm came. Matthew 8, 24 says, suddenly, huh, that's just like the devil, right? He comes suddenly, suddenly, a terrible storm came up with waves breaking into the boat. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you study about the Lake of Galilee, it is known for storms that come up without warning. So it wasn't long 
after the disciples had got into the boat, they were probably in the middle of uh, the lake when this huge storm arose. There was raging winds. The waves grew colossal. They were breaking into the boat. The little boat must have been riding up and do uh, down the waves. The skies darkened. And this would even put the largest fishing boats at risk, this kind of storm. They said they were like a violent storm. But notice, family, the disciples had been with Jesus. They had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. They witnessed Jesus casting out demons and healing the sick. Yet, when the storm arose, in that moment, they focused on the waves. In that moment, they focused on the wind. In that moment, they focused on the danger, and they became fearful. And the truth of the matter is when we focus on the storm, we too will become fearful. Some translations say that the disciples were terrified. I thought about being terrified. And I thought about a time when I was terrified. It was about 30 years ago. As you know, our custom is to bring out speakers, sometimes from America, for celebration. This year, it was Carla and Dick Bunnell. They were going to come and be speakers. And as it is our custom, we like to take them to the bush somewhere, to a lodge around the Kruger National Park so they can uh, get over jet lag and that we can talk about the celebration. Apostle Thea likes to give them, you know, show them where he feels the Lord is leading him for the celebration. We can pray together, and it's a wonderful time of bonding. Okay, so it is my happy place. The bush near the Kruger National Park, take me to any larger. I love it. My husband's happy place is listening to the waves breaking on the shore. He loves the beach. I like the bush. I want to see the animals. So this is, uh, we get in our Jeep one early one morning, and we're going to see the animals. And so we had a young game ranger. Now, let me just say, we've been going 30 years um, after this game ranger, and we've had amazing game rangers. So I don't want to throw all game rangers under the bus, but this particular game ranger, I feel he was like a cowboy. He was young. He was inexperienced. He wanted to show how great he was, but he was not good at all, in my opinion. So nevertheless, we are on our way out. And we went to look for animals, and there was a huge herd of elephant. Now, he drove into a dry river bed, and in front of us there was another jeep, behind us was another jeep, so we were sandwiched between, between two jeeps in the middle of a dry river bed. On the right-hand side of me, there was a small bank, not a big bank. There were some elephants up there, big elephants, huge elephants. This was the African elephant, and there was a bull elephant. Now, if he wanted to go down to the water path, he would just come down the little bank where we are right in his path and go up the little bank on the other side, and then just on my left-hand side, there was a watering hole. 
Some other elephants had gathered round the watering hole. So this big bull elephant, he wanted to be with the other elephants. He wanted to go to the watering hole. Well, he started doing his flapping of those big ears. He started making noises with his trunk. And I'm starting to think we are not in a good place. So I said to the game ranger, excuse me, do you think we can move out of it? Because I feel like this big elephant wants to come here and I feel we're stuck. There's a car, a Jeep in front of us, a Jeep behind us. If he comes for us, we are going to be in big trouble. So the game ranger, no, we're not going to be in big trouble. And I'm saying, yes, we are going to be in big trouble. He's huge. He wants to come down. Oh, you're panicking that the game ranger told me. Well, I was not panicking. Uh, the, the tracker who sits on the very front of the vehicle. Now, a tracker is someone who grows up in the area. They know the animal. They know the behavior of the animal. He started talking in his native language to the game ranger, and you know when they talk in their language that something is going on. And he was telling him, hey, this we are in a bad situation. We need to get out of here. Do you know it was so bad that the tracker got off the Jeep? It's like the, it's like the pilot saying, where's my... Um, that thing that they put on to parachute so I can jump out the airplane. And when I saw that the tracker got off the Jeep, I was in full-blown panic. You're not meant to stand up in the Jeep because you break the, the focus of the, the surface or whatever. But I stood up and I shouted at the game manager, move this Jeep. Well, he, as I was screaming at him, here comes the elephant down the bank, and guess what? I am close to the side of the elephant. Wow, I was in full-blown panic. Okay, I was thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, I'm dead now. He's going to roll the Jeep over. I'm going to be dead. He's going to squash his big old, old foot on my head. It's like a pawpaw. I'm going to just splatter right open. Oh, my husband's going to have to now find another wife, bring some, someone else is going to bring up my kids. We're going to get sued by Americans because they are, don't know if they're going to live or die. I was in full-blown panic mode. I was so fearful. I was so terrified. However, they did manage to get us out. The big elephant did charge us. Now, of course, Carla and Dick Bonnell from America, you know how not every American knows that they are actually wild. They are actually not, this is not Disney World. So, but they had their little video and they were filming and they thought this was great and I thought they were going to get, the Jeep is going to go. It was chaotic. When we got to the lodge, I was stressed out. And I said to my husband, why aren't you stressed out? So he said, no, I kept my eyes on Jesus all the time. I just had peace in my heart that God was going to deliver us out of this difficult situation. And you know, I thought, my, I thought we were going to die. I was just like those disciples in the boat that was looking at the storm instead of looking at Jesus. The disciples were stressed out. They were anxious about the situation. I was stressed out. I was anxious about the situation. They thought they were going to drown. I thought I was going to die. Yet Jesus, a miracle worker, was with them all the time, and Jesus, a miracle worker, was with me all the time. But their focus was on the storm instead of the word given by Jesus. They had allowed their emotions to rule them. I allowed my emotions to rule me at that time. 
They were in a turmoil. My heart was in a turmoil. So I know how the disciples felt at the time. Thank God, I am much, much better. <laughs> I know, yeah, my, my, my focus is on the Word of God, and I would behave much differently today. But I know how the disciples must have felt. But Jesus said, go to the other side. And so uh, that was the command that he gave them. And the disciples could have said to one another, Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So we should not allow our hearts to be troubled or fearful. They could have been just like my husband, just sitting in the Jeep, with, and he had a heart full of peace. Instead, they were focused on the problem and not the promises. And that's what happens to us when we focus on the problem and not the promises of God. Our emotions take over and we get an, full of anxiety. But when we focus on the Word of God, it brings supernatural peace. And when, when all hell is raging around us, we still can have that peace in our heart, a peace that passes all understanding. The disciples went to Jesus in the boat, and they woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, save us, we're going to drown. Their faith had been shaken because they lost focus on what Jesus had said. And when we take our eyes off the word of God onto the raging storms of life, we too will lose faith, our faith. Our faith will be shaken. But what did Jesus do? I love this family. He asked them the question, why are you so afraid? Why have you lost your faith? In other words, have you got shipwrecked faith? Why did you waver in your faith? Did you not believe my word when I said we're going to the other side? Did you lose focus on the plan I gave you? Notice, family, the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere that Christianity was going to be easy sailing. No, plain sailing. No, not at all. Christianity is not an absence of problems and pain, but through it all, while we focus on the Word of God and on our future and God's promises, we will realize once again that God is good and His Word remains true forever. So what did Jesus do to solve the problem? Matthew 8.26 says, Then Jesus stood up. And what did He do? He rebuked the wind and the waves. I would like to say it, say it like this, family. Jesus stood up and took care of business. Come on, church. It's time for us. Jesus was asleep, I think, because he was tired. But many of us are asleep in the church, and we need to wake up. We need to rise up, and we need to stand up, and we need to take care of business. That word rebuke, do you know, is the same Greek word that is used when Jesus rebuked the demons. Doesn't that confirm to us that most of the storms that come our way are from the devil? Why? Because he wants to distract us from our destiny. He wants us to get off focus, off track. If our enemy can get us all messed up, worrying about circumstances, worrying about everything going around us, we're going to lose focus. Focus on the Word of God and His promises. Storms are a distraction. 
But what did Jesus do? He took care of the storm by rebuking that storm. And the wind and the waves obeyed him and they became calm. Family, when we speak the word of God in the middle of our storms, we too can have supernatural peace. The wind and the waves obey Jesus. In the same way, our storms will obey us because Jesus has given all authority to us to use his name. So it is time, I believe, in my opinion, for us to wake up, wake up, stand up, face your storm. And instead of the storm overcoming us, let us become storm chasers. That's right, storm chasers. When the storm comes, get up, speak up, and rebuke that storm in Jesus' name. And guess what? That storm is going to go. It's going to obey you, and you're going to have peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope that encouraged you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're here today and you're in the building or you're watching online and you say, Pastor Bev, I don't have peace in my heart because I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. But you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because he can help you through any storm of life that you go. If you would like to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that heaven is your home, why don't you raise your hand right now and we're going to pray with you. If you're in the building, raise your hand, go ahead. If you're watching online, you go ahead and you raise your hand and we're going to pray for you right now. Father, you see each and every person with their hand raised. And we thank you, Lord, they are committing their lives to Jesus. Okay, now let's say this together. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because I accept Jesus today, I believe my name is in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven will be my home, and I'll live with Jesus eternally in heaven one day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm trusting the Lord that we'll see you soon. Apostle Thea and I love you so much, and we pray for you all the time. Love you, family. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.